1: Today's show is going to be on a very worthy cause, the call for code, and I'll have a number of guests. First up is Josh Trujillo, who is with International Coding Academy 42, the local chapter right here in Silicon Valley. Hi, Josh. Hey,
2: how are you doing, Keith?
1: So a couple weeks back, We had Black Hat, which is the largest hacker conference in the world. It's every year. And in a headline, it said that a legacy system created a vulnerability where every single attendee could have their information stolen. And why that's so funny or ironic is that Black Hat's considered this uber security conference. And this was just a very low level hack. So when you go to a conference, you have these badges, your ID cards, those cards can be reverse-engineered and if they're unsecure, you can actually take the data out of them. That's what a researcher found. And so the vendor of the actual conference badge uh, was alerted and they quickly closed that loophole. Google has been hit with a lawsuit over location tracking. We talked about it in a previous show that even if you had the location services of Google turned off, Somehow, if you've ever thought that maybe you're still being tracked, you actually still are. Now, in this research, the authors didn't say they thought Google was doing it maliciously. It's just that when you have so many services like a Google or even Apple or other uh, technologies, even Microsoft, there's so many things that your mobile device depends on that even if you turn off one, you've given access to another. And so what Google said was, or what they didn't state, but what they did was they updated the terms of service to say that even if you've turned off Google Location Tracker officially, you might have enabled other apps. And it's a common thing because we've talked about it many times on other shows because of all the scrutiny post-Facebook Cambridge Analytica, that incident, that a lot of these what we call large centralized companies, Google, Facebook, Apple, all of them are coming under scrutiny. Facebook, Twitter, and Google have suspended about 650 or so what they consider inauthentic versus fake pages, sites, groups, and accounts. And this is just ties back into the story I just mentioned where a lot of these large companies are taking privacy more and more seriously just as more and more regulations and laws are being updated. And we'll be, of course, talking about that in future shows. And that's the news of the week. So we have Josh Trio, who's a coordinator of Coding Academy 42 here in Silicon Valley and in Paris. Welcome again, Josh. Thank you, T. And 42 has graciously um, opened up their doors to host the only North American Call for Code event, which is going to happen in Fremont, California on August 25th, Saturday, August 25th. Josh, thanks to you and team for opening up your doors.
2: No problem. We're really excited about hosting this event.
1: So what's great is that I had Brittany Beer, the chief operating officer of 42 in the U.S. on um, recently, and she gave us a great overview Mm -hmm. of what you guys are doing with all the students. And so now just working together between 42, the city of Fremont, IBM, and Silicon Valley Insider, as well as Tulip Emerging Technologies, it's going to be really good in terms of the focus on wildfires. So why did 42 decide to get involved with this project?
2: You know, I think uh, the project or code for uh, call for code specifically, you know, really stands out to the mission of 42. Um, we really love working on projects that we call save the world projects, the ones that essentially help people. Um, the technology has such an amazing purpose um, and it really has the potential to uh, uh, really affect things like, you know, the wildfires in California and other natural disasters. And this really stood out as an event to make a difference.
1: Yes, that's great. I think that when we had... Um, I've been talking about Call for Code for a couple months now. It's, in essence, not just a nonprofit, the Call for Code nonprofit, but it's also a global challenge with prize money. And the competition is global. You don't actually have to attend an event. You can actually submit... If you're a, a team of software engineers, you can submit an entry by September 28th to the Call for Code website. And there's actual... Mm -hmm. cash prize money, but also um, the potential for venture capital and other investments um, from different investors and corporations because it's such a a worthy cause. Uh, Puerto Rico recently had an event focused around floods and other teams around the world have focused on their um, recent natural disasters. But wildfires has been such a huge Mm -hmm. impact in California and the United States that this is just a really appropriate topic. Uh, We're going to have the mayor of Fremont, California, the fire chief of Fremont, California, executives from IBM, and other civic leaders attending this while it happens on Saturday, August 25th. Are the students at 42 going to participate?
2: Oh, absolutely. And we actually already have some students forming some ideas and some teams um, because what really stood out, um, is like, like you mentioned that prize money and that venture capital support really allows them to, you know, if they win and if they're, you know, selected, actually build out their project, which got a lot of people excited when we announced it.
1: Yeah, I think it's perfect for 42 students as well as the public, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew that this is an event that is open to the public, not just to the students of 42. Mm-hmm. And really, if uh, you haven't heard of what a hackathon is, or an idea jam, or one of these call for codes, it's really an opportunity to both show off your coding skills, but also for decision makers and investors to see those coding skills in action. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you just said, Josh, is that it really gets exciting when um, there's actual, not just cash prize rewards, but this opportunity for you to take your start further, which is another Mm -hmm. thing that you do for a call for code, right?
2: A little bit, yes. So we we have worked with them and we also have 42, you know, other projects that are, you know, like we mentioned earlier, those Save the World projects. We have similar things um, like a Wilderness Patrol app that our students have created for the California State Park system. And so that's right, you know, in the scope of what we try to promote here.
1: Well, that's great. Um, So given that there's going to be a number of different organizations there, Mm what is it like to host an event like this at 42 42 again for those who uh, tuned into a recent interview with Brittany beer the chief operating officer it is a former university turned into a school that trains students on how to be uber software developers and there's it's it's um on-site residential dormitory style
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool environment for those that haven't been. Um, the lab is basically one giant open floor plan with 1,000 computers, or 1,024 computers, um, that really encourages collaboration. Um, and for those that haven't attended a hackathon before, um, or a hackathon-like event before, you know, that is a perfect environment for that, because it's really one day where you focus on going from an idea to kind of starting to build your project, and you make a ton of progress in such a short period of time.
1: Do, do you think that your students are going to have an unfair advantage?
2: No, yeah, we, we're really hoping our students also work with some of the people that come on out. Uh, we like to mix you know, with the local community as well as other universities. So I think we'll be well prepared to work with others.
1: What, what are some of the technologies that 42 will be focused on? What are some of the tool sets and different kinds of things? Do you think there'll be like an AI or machine learning or a big data application?
2: Possibly. You know, I think I think AI definitely has the chance to uh, uh, really help natural disasters as well as, you know, a lot of augmented reality. I, I know uh, I've heard some couple of augmented reality ideas from students that could be really potential too, especially for volunteers and, you know, local community, the local community when they're helping or trying to find certain items or relief.
1: Right. And, and Tulip will be teaching mm-hmm. people how to do some blockchain projects using C++ and WebAssembly. Yeah. Assembly. Exactly. So, Josh, thanks again for being in the studio today. We're really excited to be working together on this call for code. And for any information on 42, you can go to 42us.
2: Uh, 42.us.org.
1: Thank you very much. So we'll be right back. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info.svn.biz.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again,
1: your host, Keith Kuh. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Kuh. Today's show is about a call for code event we're hosting. In studio with me right now is the mayor of Fremont, Mayor Lily May. Hi, mayor.
3: Hi, Keith. Thank you for this opportunity to come and join you today.
1: Now it's been great to have you. The show is all about call for code, which we'll get into in just a few minutes. First, I wanted to bring up uh, the question of the week, which I did a series on systemic biases, which at the end of it, it's really machine bias. And so we had all these examples of that. One thing I wanted to finish off on this topic with is a new term called algorithmic gaze. And algorithmic gaze is simply when Now that you've trained all these machines, they still don't do what you want them to do because they're just dumb machines. And an algorithmic gaze, an example would be you have an autonomous vehicle and somebody covers the stop sign. I don't want anyone to do this, but somebody covers the stop sign with a different color. And now the car, the autonomous car, blows right through the stop sign. Uh, This is not just, in this example, artificial intelligence happening in healthcare, all other industries. It's just something that programmers have to think about as they're doing more and more work. That's why on this show, we talk a lot about the tie-in now with these emerging technologies, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, how important it is that the developers developing these systems are really tied to things like behavioral science and analytics to really make sure that the solutions they bring uh, don't cause an unintended consequence. And that's algorithmic gaze. So welcome back. In the studio with me is Mayor Lily May of Fremont. Welcome again, Mayor.
3: Thank you for having me again.
1: So Call for Code is a global initiative to combat natural disasters and disaster relief through uh, systemic solutions like software. Uh, We are doing the only North American event on Saturday, August 25th, right here in the city of Fremont. We're doing it with School 42, or Ecole 42 in French, which was uh, on a couple weeks back, and they're hosting the event on the facilities. The city of Fremont is hosting it as a city. Um, IBM, Silicon Valley Insider, and Tulip Industries, who will be training students on these emerging technologies. Just really exciting, and Amir, thank you for supporting this event.
3: No, it's wonderful that here in Fremont as being recognized as one of the top 10 cities for women in technology to be able to support this opportunity to um, come up with solutions that encourage civic engagement.
1: And I think a really good example of this, back to really quickly, School 42 is a completely tuition-free university-level course in software development that goes three to five years for the average student. And in putting this event together on Saturday, August 25th, Um, there'd be many Fremont residents, of course, in Silicon Valley, is that with the speed of communication, social media, and the ability for all of us to get together, we literally planned this event in less than two and a half weeks.
3: Well, we're happy to help with that. We think that um, building those connections and bridging um, partnerships are really critical for our success as a city.
1: So I wanna tie this in with the wildfires in California. Which I know a lot of our Fremont firefighters um, were actively involved with. Yes. what is this the call for code in North America, this one in Fremont, we are going to be focusing um, on on wildfire specifically. What does this mean to a city?
3: Well, for us, I think you know we have, as you mentioned, we're, we're very privileged to have our own team um, join so many of our brave firefighters in public safety across California and the region and trying to address these solutions. But what we're hoping to be able to provide is that technology use or solutions that would then help better enable the teams that are going out to be prepared and also to look at how we can uh, work on infrastructure or processes internally in our cities, but also when they're out on the, the, the actual uh, drills or um, sessions where they're trying to put out the fires to be better prepared and implement the technology that you talked about, whether it's artificial intelligence or or apps, there's opportunities for us to help um, better secure our safety teams, as well as addressing the solutions that could help
1: outreach and and communicate these issues with our community members and neighborhoods. You make an excellent point. We we've talked about it a few times on the show. Where even in a natural disaster, it's the hurricane, the flood, the fire that makes the news, but the impact goes way beyond the the incident itself. Uh, we Puerto Rico was just announced. Um, a couple weeks back, that they finally have serviceable electricity throughout the entire uh, region, which was over a year. And so you think about the need for technology to support the incident, but then also post-incident management, how does technology help get a city or a region back up and running? And I think that's what you're referring to. And then also how these solutions are developing for uh, in this case natural disasters can be applied to anything
3: it really can be i mean i i've had the privilege of seeing the mayors from puerto rico as well as here um, in our region, we've had some natural disasters, whether it be man-made like the Ghost Ship fire or with the flooding that you saw in San Jose. So those types of solutions and what do we do afterwards and what types of opportunities are there to improve the infrastructure, to better address the future needs, um, are where we're looking at. And we're having this opportunity, whether it's working with the coding teams or with the private partnerships of technology companies and leaders here in the Valley, will allow us to better prepare as we look forward to the future.
1: So let's focus on what you just said about the future, right? Because you build these solutions and these solutions, again, uh, persevere past why they were created. Mm -hmm. And I know you have been um, in the news lately for uh, in California, AB 2923, which is, for lack of a better term, this land use um, initiative. So how would a technology then support something like that?
3: Well, I think when you're looking at some of these legislation and bills that come out, whether it's AB 2923, where um, there's discussion about trying to provide housing, and we definitely as a city are supportive of that, but allowing us then the capacity or abilities to come up with apps that address smart planning and being responsible and looking at, like, for example, if we're going to build density in a case of a natural disaster, how would we be able to better reach these communities? Or in, in the area of looking at homelessness that some people may not think about, that we're seeing in the entire Bay Area with encampments, how do we reach out to some of our constituents that aren't normally accessible and how can we provide tools or have the tracking abilities to ensure that our public safety officers are able to address the needs of the entire community, whether they're residents that were known or people that are homeless or um, have mental health or other issues that we're able to then work with partners um, such as technology to address and find.
1: Thank you. And I, I think, tying it back to the call for code event, we're going to have um, anyone that has the ability to create software, they'll have the chance to address these. And why I bring that up is there's going to be certain use cases of rating development by the software team. So let's just say that they have an app for homelessness mm-hmm. but can be retrofitted back into something that addresses uh, wildfires, incident management, and then there's gonna be apps for wildfires and management that can actually be retrofitted back to address um, alerting residents like you just mentioned with uh, the AB 2923 scenario. And that's why I think we talk a lot. We had a we had a Silicon Valley entrepreneur on a few times, Jedediah Yueh, and he talks about a new term he's coining called FinTech. And FinTech's the ability for, um, and, and by the way, the mayor came as a worldwide global controller from a large tech company um, several years back. Uh, FinTech is the ability for these two or three people, teams, kids in high school to just leapfrog, in a sense, mm-hmm. a technology because they don't have any of the encumbrances of a large entity.
3: It, it is very exciting. I mean, f- from my background originally, um, I um, started in computer science club and other things was a, a youngster. And so to have that ability to see how technology evolved and the opportunities that allow us the flexibility of design and implementation that makes this call for code contest a really exciting opportunity.
1: Well, Mayor Lily Mae Fremont, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's my
3: pleasure, and I look forward to being able to work with you in the future.
1: And once again, uh, we are having a call for code Saturday, August twenty fifth. The mayor will be there, as well as a number of other city officials from Fremont. And again, a call forty two. IBM, Tulip Industries, and myself, Silicon Valley Insider. So if you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Also, don't go away. Coming up in the next segment is Willie Tahada, Chief Developer Advocate of IBM. And we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley
1: Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey Insiders, welcome back to the show. Today we've been talking about a great cause, the Call for Code Global Challenge, which is an initiative to solve for natural disasters and disaster relief using technology. My next guest is Willie Tahada, Chief Developer Advocate at IBM. Hi, Willie. Hey Keith, it's thank you for having me. So for this week's cyber privacy discussion, I wanted to talk about how 2017, we mentioned, was a huge year and not in a good way for data breaches, especially of PII, which is personally identifiable information. 2018 so far has been a landmark year to strengthen these types of privacy challenges. And so some of the uh, things that have happened so far GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union was enacted May 25th, extremely stringent. Um, the Supreme Court of the US ruled that the Fourth Amendment requires law enforcement to obtain war warrant- searching individual cell phone location data. And then California passed a law that's even more stringent than GDPR, which won't be enforced for a couple of years. And finally, Verizon and AT&T had pledged to stop selling mobile customer data to third-party data brokers. And I wanted to bring this up because we do have Willie Tejada. And Willie, you're the chief developer advocate, but you had also mentioned a lot off microphone about how a lot of this is where the developers are being seen as new innovators to solve for these types of challenges.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Keith. You know, when you think about how people think about innovation or or things that have changed society, Nobel Peace Prize winners, You know, oftentimes those roles and those jobs have been engineers, doctors, lawyers. And if you think about the era that we're in where technology is so available, democratized, if you think about how much data is out there, and really think about the last five years, who's produced things that change the way we do business, the way that we do entertainment, or how we interact, at the heart of many of those. Major changes has been a developer, someone who's built a business based upon software or an application that has dramatically changed the way we either interact or how we conduct business. So I, I'd posit that you know the the role of the future isn't necessarily the the doctor, lawyer, engineer, but will be the developer at the heart of it. and we'll we'll see a Nobel Peace Prize winner. will be a developer very soon.
1: Yeah, I could agree with you more. One of the companies I work with, the uh, CTO is a radiologist by day and then spends 20 hours a week as a chief technology officer uh, doing C, doing WebAssembly, working on blockchain. And he says it all the time that as a radiologist, there will come a time where you won't have as many, you won't have the need to have as many graduated radiologists.
4: Well, the, it, it's interesting. You know, the, the, the point that you actually make about, um, again, being a developer, you know, it's cliche, it's again, building off of my first statement about the doctor, lawyer, or engineer, but there's also a statement when my kids were growing up, what language will they learn uh, that will enable them to conduct more global business? And at the time it was Mandarin, all the types of explosion of uh, the economy happening in China. And, you know, I challenge that the language that most of our youth will learn that will impact them the most will be some development language. Um, because that's that's how they'll impact actually the world. That's how they'll understand how they can make um, the most impact basically through um, either understanding how the code works or participating actually in that code
1: directly. That's a really good point. I mean, I'm thinking that we're doing this call for code challenge, it involves 42, the coding academy that we had Josh on earlier in the show. Um, It involves IBM, it involves a number of thought leaders in emerging technologies. And all this is in service to solving for natural disasters, disaster relief. And we have a theme around wildfires just because of how prevalent it's been in California. But your point that um, beyond a Mandarin or a Spanish or English, and by the way, if you speak those three languages, you cover about seventy percent of the world's population. A development language as well is really going to be the lingua franca of the future.
4: That's what I believe. Um, you know, the uh, this call for code. It, you know, it's it's an amazing platform. It's a new global initiative. Um, it was uh, an effort that we could pull together. There's twenty two million developers in the world across startups, academics, and enterprises. And the thought process was, how can we pull that group together and focus on society's some some of the most pressing issues? And natural disasters is right at the top of that list right now. You know, there's, there's no technology that can stop a natural disaster, but we can certainly better prepare, better react, and better recover. And we think at IBM, we could put together a technology for good. Um, that can build solutions directly actually to that. So that global challenge, Call for Code, in conjunction with the United Nations Human Rights Office, the American Red Cross, David Clark, and the Linux Foundation, we pulled together essentially to put this initiative together to actually address this. And we'll do one every year. We'll do a focus area. It just so happens natural disasters um, is is happening, not just here in Northern California and wildfires, but you look at the flooding in other parts of the country and you look at the flooding and um, and the types of things that are happening all over the world.
1: Yeah, well, I've been talking about this call for code event for a couple of months um, on the radio and some of the folks I've had on, so previously I had on a company of entrepreneurs that um, have a blockchain travel startup, but they're from Nepal. And so they were talking about possibly doing one about earthquake because earthquake was so devastating to the Nepalese. And so I think, um, doing the first one around natural disasters and disaster relief is compelling. It's something that everyone, um, can relate to. And then also I think beyond that, truly global. And we've had shows recently with venture capitalists that are tokenizing their funds specifically to reach uh, places outside of Silicon Valley. Places outside of the United States or traditional funding areas. So, seeing what submissions are going to happen out of places like Honduras or Nicaragua or um, parts of Asia or you know Eastern Europe. I mean, in Africa, that would be like um, just a very interesting watch or observation of who's going to submit and what they're going to submit on.
4: That's right. You know, and when you think about the event, these. Uh, call for code, um, hack for good events. You know, we have one coming up here in, on August 25th here in Fremont. Um, we recently conducted one in Puerto Rico where uh, one of my um, staff members is uh, a native of Puerto Rico. His parents were still there when Maria the Hurricane came through. And so him going back, conducting um, a, a hack associated to this, that was focused on how could they be better prepared when the next hurricane comes through? What solutions could they do in the recovery phase? Um, We're doing the Fremont one in the 25th. We'll follow it with another one in Osaka, um, again, around uh, the flooding that has been uh, the worst in, in 10, 25 years in Japan.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to highlight that with this event, specifically the Fremont event, because that that's here in the United States, that it's free to the public. It's You can find the event bright, and you can go to the Call for Code website, callforcode.org. Um, there's going to be a lot of attention on what this could potentially mean to solving for these things you just talked about. We talked about it earlier in the show. We will have the mayor of Fremont Technology officer of Fremont, the fire chief of Fremont all coming just because they've been participating already. I know that there's fire fighters from Fremont that have been on the line. So we're hoping that they'll be able to they won't be actively fighting a fire, so they'll be able to to join in the in the event as well. What is it like with when IBM gets involved with the hackathon? Yeah.
4: What's what's fantastic about IBM getting involved with a hackathon and something like call for code, number one, and an event like we're doing in Fremont the ability to bring together data scientists, developers, and then quite honestly, the people that you called out, Keith, which in many cases are the domain experts, the emergency responders who have the expertise that says, if I had this, if we could do this, we could reduce human suffering. We could be better prepared. Pulling all those people together then to ideate and brainstorm and use their imagination and their software development powers to build solutions, that's what these things basically all are about. Now the value of IBM is that this global competition that we call Call for Code um, will culminate really essentially with a, uh, a contest that uh, will award $200,000 basically to the, the winning solution. And one of the most important pieces there isn't just the prize money, but the ability that IBM through its corporate services core can roll out that solution so that it can have an impact on the exact intention of when they built it. Not always the case when you actually talk about the winner of a particular hackathon. And then the last thing I'd say is, through the the relationships that we have with the United Nations, uh, Human Rights Office, and American Red Cross, all those things basically allow us to see the implementation and these solutions put to work.
1: Thank you. I think that's why it's such a powerful platform. That call for code as this multi-year global initiative uh, becomes really empowering with network effects, right? Because what we're saying is you're a startup anywhere in the world, but you might have a great idea. And a a lot of what you just said about suffering, people always hear what happens at the initial impact. So when Fukushima happened, the earthquakes in Japan and then the subsequent flooding, or the flooding in Puerto Rico with the wildfires in California, we really don't talk about what happens immediately after too much, and then what happens a year later. I heard Puerto Rico just got power back to the entire country or entire province um, last week, which has been more than a year, right? And so these technology solutions are gonna be able to be plugged in in such a way that are gonna help these use cases um, even after the initial event. And then the power that the partners that are with Call for Code, companies like IBM, the Linux Foundation, um, this, enables that solution to be at scale? Because what we're saying is IBM, through your your distribution, through your reach, you're going to be able to replicate these solutions and put them in places that need them.
4: That's correct. So, Katie, you think about what the Linux Foundation can do through open source and the communities. Can they build, essentially, support for these solutions so that they're more durable, so that they essentially get better, so they have a life after this particular event? Through the other organizations that you mentioned, can we have feet on the street in terms of the deployment of the solutions,
1: those things basically are really key. So, Willie, let's. These are all great things about Call for Code. I'm glad we have you in the studio today, Willie Tejada, Chief Developer Advocate at IBM. We're going to take a pause. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Ku. If you have any questions or comments about Call for Code or today's show, email us at info at and we'll be right back to wrap.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1 That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith
1: Kuh. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Kuh. Today's show has been dedicated to Call for Code, a global initiative to solve for natural disasters and disaster relief using technology. I have with me Willie Tejada, who's the Chief Developer Advocate at IBM. Thanks again, Willie, for being here.
4: Thanks very much, Keith.
1: So in this portion of the show, I usually bring up a thought-provoking technology question that doesn't have a right or wrong answer yet. There's regulations that often come in after the fact. And in the last segment, we had brought that 2018 was a banner year for solving for data privacy because 2017 was such a horrible year for breaches. And so the questions come up that, and Willie, I'd love for you to participate, is, is it ever... Acceptable for someone like a healthcare worker to use their personal device to access patient data. That's like a blanket statement. And usually there's two sides of the coin. One is that because the regulations and data around data are becoming so stringent, a corporation will say there's no way that we would want a healthcare worker to access this patient's medical records. But even if it's to save their life, I mean, you might be in a situation where the whole call for code event we've been talking about, I'll show is solving for natural disasters and disaster relief. So you are a first responder and you don't have access to other means. You have to use your personal device to access patient data to know about medication or other use cases. So this is actually a really tough question for lawmakers and corporations solve. software. What are some of your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna disagree with you that the data surface area and privacy data surface area is actually quite broad. You know, um, in my position at IBM, You know, one of the key elements is about corporation and their data and what they really own. Uh, You know, we often talk about um, the critical technology sets that are coming up, one of them being artificial intelligence, is that the fuel for artificial intelligence is data. And so uh, one of the key elements is if you're utilizing that data to train your AI, then essentially you should own, in many cases, the value that comes from that. And it's not an industry practice, you know. the The idea, roughly, basically, that your data could be used to train somebody else's AI, and ultimately, um, you don't benefit from the value of your data, um, is is a is a very big topic within the enterprises. And IBM believes that you own that data, you own the insights that are derived from that data, and um, and building things like AI systems, very specifically, um, that protect that, that understand that, that give you knowledge graphs specifically for your company alone. Um, it's one of the other areas um, in this privacy and data area that's actually quite um, specific actually to what we're trying to do in, in terms of enterprise AI.
1: Thanks, Willie, for the very astute observation. We, we talk a lot about how the success stereotype of Silicon Valley back in the day was you know, free flow of ideas, access to capital, smart people, and great weather. And then we talked about also that there was a lack of real regulation or compliance. And I think the convergence that now companies really worry about those things um, kind of hamstrings them in a sense, in a, in a way that they need to, to follow these rules. And how am i going to tie that back is you and your role of chief developer advocate for IBM, you're thinking about these things. This is that, that next iteration. Now we have, we talked about lawyers, doctors earlier in the last segment. Now we're talking about developers who need to think about these things. And yet they have that heart. They're, they're really wanting to solve for these issues. And so with that, do you think with the call for code event that you can both create a solution for natural disasters and disaster relief and keep an eye on these types of regulations? Is that is that something that's compatible?
4: Look, we believe so. Uh, I think it starts with access to the technologies. You know, IBM as a company, Jenny Ramadi, our chairman, our CEO and president committed $30 million over the course of this next five years um, towards call for code. Uh, to do exactly this, make available IBM technologies and make available subject matter experts. And um, number one, uh, conduct these types of innovation sessions under the principles that are actually behind what IBM is actually all about. So we'd love to see these solutions that come about that address, in this case, natural disasters for this year. Um, And in the coming years, also deal with some of the most pressing societal issues and I'll do them under the, the conduct and guidelines, basically, that of being IBM, the kind of company that it is.
1: Great. So we, we're we almost at the end of the show. It's been great having you, Willie. So I think with just the you know, last minute or so, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to seeing at the Call for a Co- Code event? What kind of things do you want to, people to get really excited about?
4: Well, number one, we'd love to see a, a tremendous turnout from the developers here in Silicon Valley, um, of all types, data scientists, engineers, uh, subject matter experts. That's number one. Um, number two, um, just a, a, a free-flowing of ideas and collaboration for these types of hacks for good. Um, some of the best parts are the ideas that come from the collaborations, from the energy that comes just from the event itself. So number one, love the folks basically to come out. Um, call for org, sign up, come visit us basically at 42. Um, the turnout, I think, is the the first place to start.
1: Well, with that, I I want to just do a quick wrap. Call for Code is Saturday, August 25th. It is open to the public. Unlike some other hackathons, it is completely free because we want people to have no barriers. If you've got a great idea and a team, you should come. And even if you can't make the event, I want to make sure people know that they can submit their own ideas and projects to the callforcode.org website uh, through September 28th. So we'd love to see you, we want you to be there, but if you can't make it, still do a submission, there's real prize money. And as uh, Willie had just mentioned, Gene Rometty, the CEO of IBM has committed 30 million over five years of investments because this is just such an important initiative to IBM and their partners, as well as community members like us, the city of Fremont, Tulip, Silicon Valley Insider, and 42 Coding School. So Willie, thanks again for being here. Keith, thanks so much for having me. I hope to have you on a future show to talk about other things. Absolutely. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to
0: Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Kuh. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888828svin